0: Welcome to Divine Truth Podcast with Dr. Stephen M. Huffman. Michael is the senior pastor with Emmanuel Baptist Church in beautiful Central Virginia. The purpose of this podcast is to teach and edify God's people through a verse-by-verse exposition of God's Word. To learn more about Emmanuel Baptist Church, please visit www.ebcmineral.com. And now, here's Pastor Michael Huffman.
1: and turn to the book of Philippians chapter number 1. Philippians chapter number 1, and after you have found that, out of respect for God's Word, if you would please stand as we read our text. Philippians chapter number 1, and uh, beginning in verse number 1. The Bible says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, Deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making request with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it was meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye are partakers of my grace. For God is my record. How greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we ask you now, Lord God, that you would teach us your truth this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Joy, joy is a privilege. Joy is a privilege that it seems most Christians do not possess in their life. And remember we spoke last time together, I gave you what I call a, a theology of joy. And the theology of joy is this, that joy is a gift of God to those who believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, being produced by the Holy Spirit because they receive and obey the Word of God, mixed with trials, and keep their eyes focused on eternal joy, on eternal glory. Most Christians, I fear, we spend the majority of our lives in anything other than in an attitude of Spirit-given joy. And I believe that is the case for a couple of reasons, and these reasons all stem from the theology of joy that I just gave you that's actually on the top of the back of the bulletin, the top of the outline, if you want to look at it again. All these reasons that I'm going to give you of why Christians do not experience joy are related to that theology of joy. And I believe, church, that the number one reason why so many Christians do not experience joy in their life, Spirit-filled, Spirit-given joy, is because they are not being filled with the Spirit themselves. Because joy... Is a gift of the Spirit. And we know that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22, the Bible says, For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. And since joy is a gift and fruit of the Spirit, it is given to those who are filled with the Spirit. And folks, I want you to understand this morning that being filled with the Spirit is a command given to us by Scripture. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18, it says, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is an excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit. And even though it is something that we are commanded to do, to be filled with the Spirit, it's not sometimes something many times that Christians obey. Because the word filled is a word that means to be controlled by the power of the Spirit. And since the Apostle uses a Spirit-filled life in conjunction with the consuming or the drinking of alcohol in that context, he says this, Do not be controlled by alcohol or drunk with wine, but be controlled by the Spirit. And church, listen, joyful Christians are those Christians that spend their lives being controlled by the Spirit. And for far too many Christians, they do not spend, they do not enjoy the blessings of joy because they spend their lives so much of the time being controlled by the flesh and not being controlled by the Spirit. A Christian that is not Spirit-filled A Christian that is not controlled by the Spirit of God is not going to be a Christian that is filled with Spirit-given joy. The second reason why I think so many Christians do not enjoy, do not experience Spirit-given joy Folks, let's be real, so much of the time we're not focused on eternal glory. If you look at the theology of joy, the last line says this, their focus is on eternal glory. And let's be real, church, majority of Christians do not have joy because we spend so much of the time focusing on the immediate and not focused on eternal joy and eternal glory. Because, folks, I want you to remember, as we saw last time, that joy is all a matter of what? It's all a matter of focus. Paul said in verse 4 of Philippians 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Because church, listen, joy is not based upon the circumstances of life. Joy is based on who? The Lord. Paul did not say to the church, rejoice in light of your circumstances. He did not say rejoice in spite of your circumstances. He said rejoice in the Lord. And the problem of why so many believers do not have joy in their life is because they're not focused on the Lord. They're focused on the immediate. Because, folks, if you folk, if you and I will spend our life focused on the Lord, if we'll spend our life focused on Jesus Christ and not the circumstances of life, listen, our level of joy will never change, will it? Because listen, if our focus is on Christ and He is the source of our joy, then our joy can never change. It can never diminish because it is impossible to change something when you are focused on the changeless one. If our joy is focused on circumstances, circumstances change. And when our circumstances change, our level of quote-unquote joy and commitment will also change. You see, folks, joy comes to those people that are focused on eternal things. They are focused on eternity. They're not focused on the circumstances of life. Because many times we get spiritually exhausted We get so spiritually exhausted, we get spiritually run down, and we take our eyes off the eternal, and we place them on the immediate, and then once we take our eyes off of the eternal, and we focus on the immediate, we begin to think that I'm not really getting what I deserve. God, I'm faithful. I'm faithful to church, I'm faithful to witness, why are you allowing me to go through all these things? And that is a sure sign, church, when we have that attitude, that is a sure sign that we've taken our eyes off of the eternal focus and we've put it on the immediate circumstances of life. And we begin to say, this isn't right, this isn't fair. But listen, when we focus on the eternal things, we begin to realize that we deserve nothing, and so anything that we have is a cause for joy. When we have the attitude, this is not fair, we have the attitude that says, God, you owe me. I'm faithful. I do this, I do that, I do the other. God, you owe me. But joy says, I deserve nothing, so anything I have is a cause for joy. And for the Apostle Paul, joy was all wrapped up in focus. It was first of all all wrapped up in the joy of recollection, the joy of recollection. Paul said in verse three, he says, "I thank my God upon every remembrance of you." Now, this wasn't a perfect church, was it? You will see in the bu- we'll see in this book that this church had problems. But even though this church had problems, Paul says, every time I think of you, every time I recollect memories of you. I recollect memories of joy. They bring me joy. And we said to you last week that if we're going to have joy in our life, if we're going to be people that are able to focus on the eternal and not focus on the immediate and have true spirit-given joy in our life, it's going to be as we focus on the positive things that God has done for us and not the negative things. Listen, we said to you last week that anybody, there are people that can find the manure pile in any meadow. But I don't want to spend my life looking for those things. And so for Paul, his joy was all wrapped up. And as he looked, as he thought about the Philippians, he thought about them with joy. I shared with you last week, I look back over the last 30 years with some immense joy Some of the heartache that I know has happened, God has allowed me to forget. But I think back over some things with immense joy. And sometimes I sit back in my thinking chair and I knock the hammer back and I think about you folks and and it brings me joy. I think about the sweet faces I see from this pulpit every Lord's Day and it brings me joy. I see the sweetness of the same faces I've seen for 30 years and it brings me joy. It brings me joy to sit back and think about the day that I saw Jaina and Carolyn baptized and place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I think about those things with joy. And that's what Paul said. He says, I have the joy of recollection. I joy every time I think of you. But number two, not only did Paul say there's the joy of recollection, but number two, there's also the joy of intercession. The joy of recollection and the joy of of intercession look at verse 4 Paul says always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests with joy you know folks part of having joy in life is making others the priority of your life and not yourself you know, somebody, uh, the old man, the old preacher, always said. I used to hear this all the time growing up. That people, that, and you've heard it too. That people that are all wrapped up in themselves are an awful small package. And I'll go so far as to say this: that a person that's all wrapped up in themselves is an absolutely miserable person. A person that's all wrapped up in the way they feel, what people are doing to them. What brings me happiness? What brings me contentment? Boy, those are the most miserable people. The person that seeks contentment is the most discontent person alive. But the person that seeks the value and the person that seeks expression and joy in others, the person that tries to place their lives in someone else, They find joy. Paul says, I find joy in not only the recollection of past memories with you, he says, but I find joy in the intercession that I make for you. Paul found his joy. And we find our joy when it is expressed in standing for people in this church. Paul found his joy when he was able to bring names of people of Philippi before the throne of God. George Rindrop wrote a a book. It was called No Common Task. And in that book, he tells how a nurse once taught a man... How to pray, and in so doing, changed the whole man's life. And this nurse teaching that man how to pray, she she uh she used her hand and she, she turned this man from a dull, disgruntled, dispirited individual into a man of joy. And the sh- nurse showed him how to use the hand as a scheme for prayer. She said, each finger stood for someone. She said her thumb was the nearest to her and reminded her to pray for those that are closest to her. The second finger was used for pointing and it stood for all her teachers and and school and in the hospital. The third finger, which was the tallest, it stood for the leaders in every sphere of life. The fourth finger was the weakest, as every pianist knows, and it stood for those who were in trouble or pain. And she said the little finger was the smallest, the weakest, and the least important. And the nurse says that finger stands for yourself. You see folks, joy is found in the intercession of others. Paul not only found joy in this church, But he found joy in praying for this church. And folks, listen, that is an element of joy that we do not need to forget. And that is the delight of praying for other people. When the Spirit of God is in control of your life, and you are living in obedience to God's Word, and you are under control of the Spirit, you will delight in praying for other people. And I want you to notice that the joy of intercession is related to the joy of reconciliation or recollection. Obviously, Paul, as he recollected in his mind these people, he found joy in praying for these people. And the word prayer there in verse 4 is a word that speaks of the idea of, of praying or asking God for something for someone else. You will find, folks, in not only other people's life, but you'll find in your life that the most self-centered prayer life comes from the most miserable people. You'll find your joy, as Paul found his joy, in praying for others. And I'll go so far as to say this. You'll find it less likely to be critical of those people that you're praying for. Some of you know that, that's the first thing that, 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 that comes out of my mouth when I have somebody say something, it, you know, complain about somebody else. I'll say, are you praying for them? And nine times, ten times out of ten, the answer is what? Uh. Well, let's try that first. Let's try that first. Because, folks, listen, the joy of the Holy Spirit, the joy that the Holy Spirit gives is not so much bound up in what I have. But it's all bound up in the privilege of praying for others. Paul says in verse 4, I find my joy in praying for you. Because true joy is expressed when I am able, when I am given the privilege to pray for someone and then I see God working in that person's life. There's no greater thrill in all the world than to pray for someone's conversion to then watch that person come to faith in Christ. There's no greater thrill in all the world than to pray for the needs of someone and then watch God meet those needs. Not that my prayer did it. God did it but not that my prayer changed anything because it didn't, but God allowed me in His sovereign scheme of things to use my prayer to bring about His will. And what a marvelous, thrilling thing that is. And that brings joy. You say, well, Pastor, I don't find much joy in praying for other people. That's because you don't do it. It's because you don't do it. Because as a believer... There's no greater thrill than to see someone saved and to see some God work in someone's life that you've directly prayed for. There's no greater joy than Paul says, listen, I find my joy in the fact that God has given me the ability to intercede for you. God gives me that privilege every day of my life. God gave me that privilege this morning that I go each and every aisle, each and every seat, and your name individually is mentioned before God's throne. Because I love you, and I find joy in interceding for you. I may be praying for you and I don't have a clue what your need is right at that moment, but God does. And God puts on my heart to pray for you and God uses my prayer to do whatever He wants to do in your life. And I don't just pray, Father, I pray for the Panther family. Pray for the McNeely's. Pray for the Rogers. God's given me an immense privilege and He's given it to you where you can, you and I can come to the throne of grace and I say, Father, I pray for Nathan. Father, I pray for Jana. I pray for Ray I pray for Kevin. I pray for Jerry and Kim and Abigail and Jerry. And I, and I mention you before the throne of grace because that's what brings me joy. That doesn't mean I'm super spiritual. That, ought, that should be what brings all of us joy. God's given us all that privilege of bringing each other before the throne of grace. And the true joy of the Holy Spirit is all bound up in the fact that I can actually have a part of God working through somebody's life. Now, here's Paul. Paul's a prisoner. And from a human perspective, Paul is in negative circumstances, not only physically, but also in terms of the ministry because he's not able to perform the work of the ministry like he wants to because he's under house arrest. And we're going to find out later on in the chapter that there were people that were really, really criticizing him without mercy and without kindness. And Paul was undergoing all types of bitterness from from rival preachers and people who had all kinds of animosity toward him. But folks, listen, those particular circumstances did not affect Paul's joy. Why? Because he had a delight in people. Listen, when you delight in the people to whom love God, those people that don't love God don't seem to be quite so big. But the problem is, we've got the sling in our hand, we've got God's almighty power before us, but we can't keep our focus off of the giant, and so we just give up because the enemy is astronomical. I can't defeat him. Yes, we can. And the, and the sling and the stones are joy, Holy Spirit, holy given joy. We spend so much of our life focused on what's wrong. And when I say intercede for people, I'm not talking about going before God's throne. Listen, please do me this favor. If you're going to, if you're going to bring my name before the throne of God and say, Lord, let me tell you what's wrong with Pastor Michael. Okay? Pastor said that I have to be all that I'm going to be a joyous person if I pray for others. Well, let me tell you what's wrong with everybody else. Let me tell you something. You can't tell God anything He doesn't already know. If you go before the throne of God and you tell God what's wrong with me, He already knows, and I'm probably got a good idea too. So I'm not talking about going to the throne of God and telling God what's wrong with everybody else. I'm talking about going to the throne of God and interceding for each other. Oh God, Carolyn's sister sick. Would you please help? And whatever needs you know of in the church, and you may not know of any needs, but interceding for one another praying for one another will go a long way in learning to love one another and Paul's joy was all bound up in the delight of interceding and praying for others you want to know how you can tell whether you're experiencing holy spirit joy do you find delight in interceding on behalf of other people? When you pray, is, it, is your prayers normally for the spiritual benefit of someone else? Or are you always praying for the benefit of yourself? Now, folks, listen, it's true that not all joys are, not all prayers are joyous. Some prayers are painful. Whenever I have to pray for the repentance, of someone that's painful even paul in his letters in this letter spoke about that in philippians chapter 3 verse 17 where paul says brethren be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as you have us for an example for many walk of whom i have told you often and now i'm telling you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of christ Folks, there are people in churches that are enemies of the cross of Christ. And those prayers are painful prayers. Have you ever met somebody in church? And I, I, may, I may be the only one up here this morning that's of flesh. So I, I'm going I'm to open myself up and I'm go out on a limb here. But if you ever, has anybody ever visited church and you had, a, you had an in-depth conversation with them and on their way out the door you were smiling but the whole time saying, Lord, Uh, it would be okay if you didn't bring them back. Because there's some people in the church that are enemies of the cross. And God gives you that insight. And those are the painful prayers. But in regard to the Philippians, his prayers were painless and his prayers were filled with pleasure and delight. Folks, what am I saying? Be wrapped up in each other's lives. Be bound up with each other, love each other, be respectful of each other, and pray for each other. Paul says, I find joy, and my joy is expressed in the delight in praying on your behalf. Listen, an infallible test of godly joy is to the degree of which a believer prays more earnestly for the benefits of others than other than he prays for himself. Be concerned with other people's pain. Be concerned with other people's difficulties. Be concerned with other people's hardship, other people's failures, other people's sorrows. Listen, I was, I was teaching in, in school this past week that listen, we are, that Christians are to be forbearing, aren't we? It means that we're, we're not to rejoice when somebody else stumbles. We're not to have the attitude, and I've seen this a lot in Christianity, but we're not to have the attitude when somebody falls in sin or when somebody messes up, well, yeah, I knew it wouldn't be long. You ever know somebody that had that attitude? They, some, something happens, they stumble, the, yeah, I knew it wouldn't be long. Yeah, I, I knew they were going to do that. Yep, I'm not a bit surprised. That ought not be the attitude of a child of God to another member in their body. Yeah, I knew they were going to blow it. Well, how much did you pray for them that they wouldn't blow it? And then let me ask you, how many times had you blown it and just no one knew about it yet? You see, folks, joy and godliness is all bound up in interceding for others more than interceding on our own behalf. It's all bound up in caring for others, loving others. But unfortunately, the majority of Christianity does not experience joy because the majority of Christianity are the only people alive that kick their own when they're down. Because so many Christians think so much of themselves that they kick others when they're down. How dare we? How dare we ever have the attitude toward one another that I'm better than you so I'm, so I, because so I place myself above you and speak harshly about you when you're down. The attitude of a person with joy. The attitude of a person that has spirit-given joy. The attitude of the person that is filled with the Holy Spirit is not the attitude that says, yeah, I knew they were going to blow it, but it's the attitude that says, let me help you up. It's the attitude that says, let me dust you off. It's the attitude that says, let me open up the Word of God and let's see how you can do things differently, how you can do things better. That is the loving attitude of a child of God. Not the attitude that sits back on their own, on their own self-erected precipice and says, I'm above you because I haven't committed the heinous sin that you did. We need to spend more time, church, in focused prayers for each other, in intercessory prayer for each other. And then we'll have a tough time being negative toward one another. You know, I think that the lack of joy in in Christians' lives is is revealed in their relationship, in our relationship with each other. It's really revealed in one of three ways. Negative, first of all, negative thoughts or talk about others. Negative thoughts or talk about others is a prime Revelation that you are not living in spirit-filled joy. You're negative, you talk negatively and think negatively about others. Second, if you have a, a lack of a concern for their welfare. And then third, failure to intercede on their behalf. Because joyless Christians are self-centered Christians. They're proud Christians. They're selfish Christians. They're vengeful Christians. And their, in, and their self-centeredness inevitably manifests itself in prayerlessness. One of the reasons why we struggle with joy in our life is, we, is because we don't pray for others. We lack the joy of intercession. Paul says, I find my joy in praying for you. But what do, we, what, what do so many Christians do? When I'm offended, I hold grudges. That's pride, folks. That's ego, isn't it? And we find little delight in praying for other people. And so there's the joy of reconciliation. There's the joy of intercession. And number three, there's the joy of participation. The joy of participation. Look at verse 5. Paul says, For your fellowship in the Gospel from the first day until now. Well, I'll tell you one thing. One of the things that brought Paul joy is that I'm not in this foxhole deal alone. If, you, if we, some, of these, some of these elements of joy may seem odd to us because of our focus. But if we'll focus on eternal things then they don't seem quite so odd. But we find joy. Paul found joy and we'll find joy. And it's it's an element of joy when we understand the fact that, listen, we participate in one another. Paul says, I find my joy in your fellowship in the Gospel from the first day until now. Paul loved the fact that that the Philippian believers not only supported him financially, Which they did. But Paul was joyous in the fact that they came alongside of him and they, and they, and they did the work of the ministry beside him. Paul says in Philippians chapter four, verse 15, for ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity. And again, folks, one of the things that brought Paul joy was that the fact that the Philippian believers shared in his spiritual oneness. They were in the, again, they were in the trenches with him. And that, that participation Which is what fellowship means, point on Nia, it's that participation happens when two people are, are involved together in a joint venture. Listen, when you got saved, when I got saved, we began to be in this joint venture together. And I find joy in the fact that as I'm focused on eternal things, I find joy in the fact that, listen, we're all in this together. We're all in this work together. Yes, Paul was joyous that they financed, they financially supported him. But he gives an ind- indication of that in chapter 4, verse 17, when he says, Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Paul says, I didn't want your gift. I wouldn't have asked for your gift, but I'm so glad you gave it because now you're going to receive rewards in heaven because you gave it. But the main thing that brought Paul joy was that these believers served God faithfully with Him? There's no greater, there's no greater time of despair in a pastor's life or any other church member's life when they, when you have a long time or any type of Christian get sideways with the Lord and for whatever reason leave a fellowship of God's people. Is it? But there's, at the same time, there's no greater joy than looking out of a congregation of people and seeing the same faces and knowing that they are in the trenches with you. And Paul rejoiced in the fact that they participated with him in the gospel of Christ. You participate with me in the spreading of the gospel. Paul looked back and he remembered Acts chapter 16 when he and Timothy came to Philippi and he met a group of people there by the river who were led by Lydia, who was a person that the Lord had opened her heart. And they began to spread the Gospel. That brought Paul joy. You say, well, Pastor, how does the fact that we spread the Gospel together bring joy? Again, because folks, listen, it's all a matter of Focus. Because we find so much of our time finding joy in things instead of finding joy in the Lord. We spend too much of our time trying to search for joy in circumstances instead of trying to find joy in the Lord. Paul didn't say find joy in your circumstances. He said rejoice in the Lord. And when you rejoice in Him and you find your joy in Him, then everything else comes into view and makes sense. We'll find joy In the participation. Joy in the participation. Number four. Not only is there joy of recollection, joy of intercession, the joy of participation, but number four, the joy of anticipation. The joy of anticipation. Look at verse six. Being confident. These are the things that brought Paul joy. Being confident of this very thing. That He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You know folks, I, I know this for a fact that it's always a cause for joy in my life to know that the Lord will in fact start finish what He started. That's always a constant source of joy for me. And for the Apostle Paul, he looked into the lives of believers there in Philippi, and it brought him joy to know that in the lives of those people, God would not leave them on this spiritual journey alone, but that God would finish what He began. The joy of anticipation. The joy of anticipating what God is going to do in my life. The joy of anticipating what God is going to complete in your life. Because folks, we don't have to wonder whether God is going to complete it or not. We're given the promise in verse 6 that He will complete it. The joy is, is wondering what He's going to do. What is He going to do in your life to make you more like Him? What is He going to do in my life to make me more like Christ? And verse 6 of Philippians 1 is probably one of the three greatest verses in the Bible that teaches the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. The doctrine that says that no one whom God has brought to salvation will ever be lost. No one. No one. Did you get that? No one. Whom God has brought to salvation in Jesus Christ will ever be lost. I'm reminded of the passage there. I believe uh, I don't have a slide for this there or Wichita, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm going I'm going rogue here. Verse 28 of John chapter uh, verse 27 of John chapter 10. Jesus said, "My sheep hear my voice." Do you like that? My sheep hear my voice. You know, when the, when the shepherds in the, in the old, in the first test, first century times would come into a city to rest for the night, they would all put all their sheep in the same corral. They wouldn't have different corrals for different sheep owners. They would all put their sheep in the same corral. So you may have sheep in a corral by 12 different sheep owners. And then the next morning when the sheep, shepherd would come out, he began, he would open the gate and then he would call each sheep by name and only those sheep would come out. Jesus Christ in September of 1985 came to the, came to the gate where I was being held and he said, Michael Huffman, come out. And I came out alive and he took the grave clothes off of me, breathed into my nostrils the spiritual breath of life and I became a living soul spiritually. And Jesus says in verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Somebody said, well, you can pluck your own self out of your hand. Well, how do you get that from verse 28? No man can pluck them out of my hand. My Father, because that's where it starts, right? My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. And folks, listen, verse 30, Jesus is not saying that we're one in essence. He is saying we are one in purpose. The same purpose that the Father has for the continual salvation of my sheep is the same purpose that I have. And that's why Paul could say with confidence that I know beyond any shadow of a doubt that what God started, He is going to finish. And that brings me joy, the joy of anticipation. The joy of looking back, knowing God is not going to stop. That he is going to continue what he started. That when God begins to create in the life of a sinner, a dead sinner, a new heart, he finishes what he set out to do. And it calls Paul joy to know this. And folks, I don't know about you, but if anything else brings us joy, it should bring us the joy of anticipation, knowing God will finish what he started. We're not going to go to heaven not molded to the image of Christ. He is going to continue it. And that confidence is not in ourselves. It is in God. Our confidence is not in our spiritual successes. Our confidence is in the Lord. It was Luther that said that every believer must preach the cross to themselves every day. In fact, I would say that without the preaching of the cross to ourselves every day, all day, we will very easily revert to a faith plus works as the ground of our salvation. Listen, folks, whenever someone has the idea that they are saved because I have faith, I'm saved because I believe, that's the wrong basis of salvation. That's the wrong basis of preservation. Because that is never the salvation, is never based upon the first person. That is a recipe for a constant struggle with whether or not you're truly saved. Because if you have the idea that I'm saved because I believe, I'm saved because I have faith, I'm saved because I met business with God, then you come, you come dangerously close to being tempted with, well, what if I didn't believe enough? Well, what if I didn't mean business enough? Well, what if I didn't have faith enough? Folks, salvation is never meant to be in the first person. Salvation is always in the third person. Because He. It is He. It is not me. And that is not only the only basis for our salvation. That is also the only basis of our preservation. And because Paul found his confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone, we find confidence in Him alone and therefore we can find joy knowing that what God started, He's not going to stop. He leads me into salvation. He leads me in the path of righteousness for His name's sake. He leads me in this Christian life. And because He leads me, He will certainly most lead me home. Paul says, I am confident of this. Pytho in the Greek, and it it has the idea of being convinced, but it's a little bit more than just being convinced. It carries a deeper attitude than that. It carries the attitude of an absolute conviction. Paul is not referring to something here that he hopes was the case. Paul is referring here to something that is absolutely the absolute conviction of his heart. I find joy because I absolutely know God will Start. God will finish what He began. Folks, He's not going to leave you. I'm not saying you don't feel like it. Why do you feel like it? Because you got your focus wrong, right? When you and I feel like He's left us, it's because we're focusing on the circumstances, not on the Lord. You see, folks, we've always got to keep that in mind. Joy, true joy, is always a matter of focus. Being focused on Him, not on the circumstances. Paul says, I'm thankful. I'm thankful and I'm joyous because I have a deep, absolute conviction that what he started, he's going to finish. Now, it is true that he has some work, some better, more work to do on others than he does on some. It is true that some require a little bit more chiseling away of the flesh, but that doesn't matter. Those of us who need more work done on us, God's promised to finish us too. He's promised to finish us too. And folks, listen, I don't care what's going on in life. If our focus is right, and we're focused on the joy of knowing that God will complete what He started, nothing can take away that joy. Nothing can take away that joy. He said, Well, Pastor, I don't feel very joyous today. That's because your focus is wrong. You're focused on whatever's going on in your life. You're focused on the burning pot roast at home. You're focused on the fact that the pastor's gone a minute over. Not quite? Thanks, Big Ben. Cool, let me go back and cover what I didn't say. God will never stop what he started. Let me close with this, okay? Man, I, we, I knew we weren't going to finish, but let me, let me close with this. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. You awake over there? Who shall also confirm you? Now and get these verses. Write these verses down and uh, put them in your brain. Who shall also confirm you unto the end? Right? That ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse four. Notice what the apostle Paul says. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will what? He'll also do it. He's not going to call you to repentance. He's not going to call you to faith and then leave you alone. And we join the fact that, listen, God will complete whatever he started. Well, I need to go back and pick up where I left off. No, you don't need to do that. You just need to go. Nowhere in the Bible does it say go back and, and, and pick up where you left off. Hogwash. No, continue right now. Just go. Paul says, I don't, in fact, Paul says, I don't focus on the past. I focus on the future. There's absolutely no need you going back and beating yourself up for where you messed up. Just repent and go on knowing and living in the joy that God is going to do what He started. Go back and pick up where you left off. If I've shattered your theology this morning, I apologize. I like what the psalmist said in Psalm 138, verse 8. The Lord will perfect that which concerneth who? Me. Me. Thy mercy, O oh Lord, endureth for how long? Forever. And you will forsake not the works of your own hands. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. The psalmist said in Psalm 89:33, "Nevertheless, my loving-kindness will I not utterly take from him, nor suffer my faithfulness to fail." And in Romans chapter eight verse thirty, moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called; and whom he called, them he also justified; and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Listen, calling to salvation always ends in glorification. Listen, church, when you're saved, your end route is always heaven. There's no place in that passage for any falling from grace. When someone is truly called in faith in Christ, they will ultimately, Paul says in verse 30, they will be glorified. The ones he's predestined, those are the ones he called. The ones he called, those are the ones he justified. The ones he justified, those are the ones he's going to glorify. It will happen because Paul says, I live in the joy of knowing that what he started, he's not going to stop. In John chapter 6, verse 37, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Phew. Man, if I don't let you fire your woods wet. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, Paul says, this, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the earnest or literally in the greek he is our down payment the holy spirit of whom we've been sealed is the guarantee that we are a purchased possession of christ that we are redeemed to the praise of his glory 2nd timothy chapter 2 verse 19 nevertheless the foundation of god standeth sure having this seal the lord knoweth them that are here that are His. And then I love Romans chapter 8, verse 38. Paul says, for I am persuaded. I'm convinced. I know that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul found his joy in the anticipation that God will finish what He started. Being confident of this very thing, he says, that He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And folks, you and I ought to be able to find joy today in the fact of not only as we remember each other, we can can recollect memories of each other that bring joy. Asking God to erase those unpleasant memories of the past and always bringing back to our minds some, some pleasant memories. And like I said last week, folks, that's not some type of psychological yoga. That's what Paul says brought him joy, was the recollection of the people of Philippi. But not only the joy of recollection, but the joy of intercession. I find my joy in praying for you, Paul says. Folks, you pray for others? Do you pray for others nicely? Do you play nice when you pray for others? Paul says, I find joy in praying for you. And not only the joy of recollection and the joy of intercession, but the joy of participation. Boy, I look back over this congregation this morning and I'm full of joy knowing I've got some people in the foxhole with me. I'm not alone. I'm not alone. You share in the gospel of Jesus Christ every day. You and, I are the, you and I are enlisted in the army of the Lord Jesus Christ every day. And you and I fight this battle together. And boy, I find joy in that. We're not alone. And then Paul says, I find joy in recollection. I find joy in intercession. I find joy in participation. But I also find joy in, in, in anticipation. I know that God is going to finish what He started. I know God's not going to leave us alone. And folks, if our focus is right, if our focus is on eternal things and not on our circumstances, because listen, circumstances change. Circumstances will never bring you joy. But if our focus is on the eternal, then we will look at these things and say, listen, this brings me joy. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank You this morning for Your Word. Thank You, Father, for it's truth. And Father, we, so much of the time in our life, are not people that are filled with joy. And that's, Father, we spend so much of our life focused on the circumstances and not focused on the Lord. Father, we acknowledge that sin. And we want to focus on the eternal. We want the things that brought Paul joy to be sources of our joy. And, And Father, none of the things that Paul has brought about have anything to do with his personal circumstances of life. They all had to do with things outside of him. Father, help us not to focus on ourselves. Help us, Father, to focus on you. Maybe you'd say this morning, you'd say, Pastor, I'm not a person of joy because I focus on myself. Well, this is a time for you to pray to the Father and ask the Father to readjust your focus. So that you can focus on the eternal and not on the immediate. Maybe you'd say this morning, say, Pastor, I've never been saved. I've never trusted Christ as Lord and Savior. What you're saying is foreign to me because I've never trusted Christ. And you can be saved today. And I would encourage you today before you leave to see me. And we can show you from the Bible what it means to be born again And to have truth. Spirit giving joy. Thank you, Father, for this time that we've had in your word. Thank you, Lord God, for your mercy and grace that you extend to us each day. We just thank you. We praise you, Father, for your You are our constant companion. We just thank you, Father. May we leave this place more like you.
0: You for listening to Divine Truth podcast, we pray that the exposition of the Word of God was a spiritual blessing to you. Again, for more information about Emmanuel Baptist Church, please visit www.ebcmineral.com. You can also find us on Facebook at EBC Mineral. Our Lord's Day services are 10 a.m. and 11 a.m. Sunday morning, and 6:30 Sunday evening. We also have a Wednesday evening service at 6:30. We here at Emmanuel Baptist Church pray that God's divine truth would be proclaimed always from the cross, through the church, and to the world, until Christ's come. And now from all of us here in Emmanuel Baptist Church and divine truth, thank you so much for listening, and please stay tuned for further episodes. God bless you.